Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. Try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Welcome to a special catch-up episode of Pilot House. Uh, if you're new, catch-ups are where we get together after one or both of us have watched the first season of a show that we previously discussed on the podcast, and we either catch the other person up or dish together about what we thought of the show and which of our pilot-based predictions were right or wrong. This episode is about the first season of The Good Place, and we wanted to include a strong recommendation before this one that if you have any interest in watching the show, go freaking do it, like now. Even if you were on the fence after hearing our discussion, if you have any inkling that you might want to watch this show, you owe it to yourself not to have the first season spoiled by a couple of podcast goobers like us, so... Or Sarah's cat. Or my cat. <laughs> that being said, welcome to the pilot house. Everything is fine. God damn it, Pepper. I just gave you fucking food. We have both just watched season one of The Good Place. And Holy crap. <laughs> so Ooh. many things to say. Yeah. Wow. What a what a first season. <laughs> That I think, honestly, I don't think I have ever watched a show. I, I This is like one of the first thoughts I had upon finishing the first season was like, I genuinely don't think, I can't think of any other existing TV show that saves so much of the actual basic concept until the, the end of season one. Yeah. Can it, you think of any other show that ever did that? No, it's incredible. Like... On the one hand, I feel like they were very strongly, very intentionally building to their big reveal at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. But on the other hand, like, this is the kind of storytelling I live for. Because now, if I went back and rewatched season one from the beginning, it would be an entirely different show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I understand why so many people reacted to the announcement that we were watching The Good Place by saying, oh my gosh, I wish I could rewatch the first season again. I mean, people yeah. have that, uh, people say that all the time about, oh, I wish I could read that book for the first time, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But this more than usual, I know what people mean now. Just a little bit of information on my watching experience. You and I watched the first episode, recorded the podcast, watched episodes two through five together, and then I went back up to Bellingham and was watching on my own. I told my partner about the show. My partner got really excited about it. And so I watched episodes one through five again with them before completing the end of the first season. Oh, Sarah, so you you'll remember to... that I had a theory about what was actually going on prior to getting to the end of the season. Yeah. You remember I said, quote, I'm still not entirely convinced that they are actually in the good place. Oh, no. We both felt that way. Yeah. Absolutely. So in rewatching those first five episodes with that feeling, one of the things I noticed is a little tiny, some tiny things in Ted Danson's performance. And this is why he is such a goddamn treasure. Oh, I can't wait to go rewatch for his tells alone. Right. So... You know, uh, so there's the big reveal moment where 
Eleanor finally figures it out and calls Michael out and goes, we're actually in the bad place, aren't we? And Ted Danson's face goes from like sweet, adorable, cuddly, silver, mad scientist fox, as you so beautifully put it, (laughs) Ted Danson, to like conniving, demonic, evil Ted Danson. And he does this evil demon smile that he has not done previously, except the particular face crinkles that lead into the smile have appeared on the show previously in things like in the introductory film when he's like, welcome to the good place. And he smiles and then it holds on him for like just a split second longer than the editing should. His face starts to go into that crinkle. And they obviously like they frame by framed it to get the exact right moment to cut away where you wouldn't see it. But now, like I went back and rewatched the scene a third time after watching the the season finale and i was like holy shit it's so much of his performance has these tiny little unsettling things in it like from the beginning yeah no this is un this is kind of unfair that you got to go back and rewatch knowing this is this is i'm kind of mad that you didn't tell me before we started recording that you'd done this because i would have almost insisted that i go back so we could be on even footing because you you're you're getting to you're getting to tell me things that I don't know instead of us being on the exact same page about about things like his face crinkle. This is unfair. I want to know about the face crinkle. Well, I, I, to, anyway, no more comments on those. Let's just to, talk about the actual. To first be season. clear, though, Sarah, I only went and rewatched that one five second clip after watching the season finale. Oh, oh, okay. I rewatched I episodes one just, through five, and then continued on. Like in, you just in had sequence, five minutes of commentary about that five second clip. I get it. It's but it's it's Ted Danson. It's I'm sorry. No, th- I th- no. That's the thing. I feel like this show, and since the only people listening to this will be people who have also seen at least the first season, I don't feel like it's overstating it to say this show. I feel like you could do an entire podcast where. You could have had people who've never seen the show recording their thoughts about every single episode and then go back after watching the first season and do their thoughts about each episode watching it a second time. And it would be interesting to listen to people's realizations for each episode. Absolutely. I almost, as I was... As I was watching the first season, I was like, I almost wish we were recording a podcast after every one of these episodes because there's so much changes in every single episode new things are revealed old things you realize are not true anymore like things are changing constantly and it's just it's a roller coaster i hate referring to television shows or movies as roller coasters because i think that is like overused but in this case you are absolutely 1000% correct. Damn right I am. Thank you. It's a roller coaster full of its peaks and valleys. Like, yeah. Every single episode ended with me being like, oh my God. Yeah. What? Which is, and, and not in a cheap way. Like, you know, it was like, clearly it was an, oh my God, what? That had been getting built to over time, over episodes. Not oh, just yeah. like, let's pull this out of our ass right here. Oh yeah. This is not lost, folks. <laughs> this is not okay, I'm starting to think they're just throwing shit at the wall and they have no idea where they're going with this. This all feels super well thought out and incredibly intentional. And I'm sure that rewatching it would be 
a whole different experience and another completely wild ride of seeing all of the 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 tales and the little little references that you don't get the first time but you would actually get something out of the second time like there's there's so much there's so much yes i mean so much to the point that i said in our first podcast about it that i kind of predicted uh i bet uh you know everyone is going to find out about eleanor's true identity pretty quickly i kind of thought that even michael would learn that pretty quickly and the show is going to be more about them all working together maybe to keep her there and instead obviously that doesn't happen but it to the point that when she actually stands up and says i'm the one who's causing all of this i'm not supposed to be here like i was shocked by that point in the show, I had done such a complete 180 where I thought that she was never going to tell and it would, they were, or they were going to drag it out way longer and keep it a secret way longer. Like I was absolutely, the, the character just changed so much and the, the, everyone's characters and everyone's interactions changed so much that, I mean, I texted you like, yeah, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. I did not see that coming. Like absolutely did not think that she was going to confess to Michael like at that at that point in the show anyway like oh my gosh there's just so much there are a good six or seven of these 13 episodes that end on I would say reveals that would be season finale fodder in a lesser show yeah oh absolutely one of the things that I'm kind of sad that we didn't do in our first episode is we didn't actually make any uh, cliffhanger predictions. And I'm really mad that we kind of glossed over that. I wish we had made ourselves try to predict some because it would have been interesting to see what we predicted considering we could not have guessed the actual season one cliffhanger that we never would have predicted that. Not that exact thing anyway, but it would have been interesting to see what we predicted. Some of them would have been things that absolutely happened in the course of the first season, I think. And I, we ended up kind of glossing over cliffs and ships with this one. And I really, well, we talked more about ships than we did about cliffs. And now I wish we had, we'd done more cliffs because this one had such an amazing cliffhanger. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there are other shows that we came up with more cliffhangers and then they didn't really have yeah. one. The end of the season one was kind of a whatever. I, I will say that I think that a lot of our sort of commentary and analysis of the relationships like i was amazed going back and listening to our our episode about the pilot how how much we got right yeah about some of those characters relationships like i had the whole thing about how chidi struck me as someone who doesn't you know didn't really have a relationship on earth never found anything approaching a soulmate and was like kind of felt like he had arrived at his reward yeah which in the pilot is not very explicitly stated no no but you're totally right but that ends up being a huge cornerstone of his character and the ways in which he interacts with the universe yeah over the course of the season that you know he is confused and and he has never had the kind of relationship that he's being promised in the good place and it ends up being this huge source of drama and and difficulty for his indecisive nature yeah i mean and we we talked about Wanting the show to be more about the universe and maybe a little less about the characters or not less about the characters, but less about the individual characters adventures. And I mean, we were right. The first season is a lot about the characters and their and their adventures. But obviously, given the ending of the first season, the I think the show is going to be about both in a really satisfying way that each season we are going to get more you know crazy character adventures but also it's a lot about the actual universe 
Like we we really were hoping it wouldn't yes. just be okay. This is there's a good place, there's a bad place. Here's how it's set up. Just go with it. We're not really going to investigate that further. We're going to use that as a jumping off point for character shenanigans. And I mean, we could not have been given a better <laughs> like answer to that request. Yeah. Also, this again, like it's something that we both kind of touched on about in the first episode when we were talking about production design, but like everything in the show feels so intentional and planned and thought out. I feel like this is a universe where the broader rules of the universe are very distinctly in place already. We're not seeing them, but their effects are their effects seem to be present and they make sense in a way that like a show like Lost Girl, which we also enjoy, uh, Lost Girl has a tendency to be like, of course, there is an entire clan of fairies who live in computers. You've never heard of them until this episode where it becomes incredibly relevant to yeah. the plot. <laughs> Whereas in The Good Place, I feel like the, the, the order behind the scenes and the echelons and everything like that, at least across the span of the first season, they were thinking about that all the way back to the first episode. Like there's a clear yeah, definitely. plan going on. Absolutely. And I... I mean, things could change in the next two seasons, but it definitely feels as if everything is going to be pretty well thought out. They had a lot of the show worked out from day one. And God, it's, it's just so exciting to, to watch a show like that and to, to know that like they're, oh, I don't know. I just, I'm so excited to watch the next season and see, because in some ways, I totally called it. And in some ways, I had no idea that this is where it was going. Like, we both definitely suspected from the beginning that, or at least we we realized that there is a possibility that some of what they're being told is not true. We, we didn't yes. completely go, well, obviously, there's a good place and a bad place. And all of these things are true because Michael said so. We, we did. We knew from the get go, there's a possibility that. Michael is not an, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he could be an unreliable narrator, as it were. But, like, I definitely called, I thought it was going to end up being more of a, like, I was like, I bet this is actually, they're not even dead. This is like a social experiment of some kind. Which I was a little bit right, because it was a bit of an experiment. It was. I didn't call that it was going to end up actually being the bad place, but I freaking love that. Or, we don't actually know. We don't know if there is a good place and a bad place. Yeah. It could all be bad place. Yeah, it could be that there is only one afterlife, and it's all torment. Oh my god! Uh, just really quickly, I wanted to say that I think this is a prime example of surprises and twists that are done right and done well. These are these are things that have been built up to, so that when it happens, even though it's shocking and surprising, it's still satisfying. Yeah. That even the things we got wrong or the things that we didn't suspect feel right. Yes. And I think that's something that's lost in a lot of like long format narration now is it's like, oh, wait, actually, the the guy, ki the guy killed Iron Man's nephew and we're just, we filmed a new flashback. It was like a lot of backfill. Yeah. Whereas every piece of this was building up to this point. It's something that I desperately hope they're able to keep up in season two because yeah. this is one of the most perfect sort of overall seasons of television that I've seen in years in terms of 
episode 13 makes episode one better and vice versa. God, I just, I almost don't know what to expect with season two. Like, you can kind of, you feel like you can kind of see where they're going to go with it. But it's, it's, it's so hard to say how long it'll take them to get to certain things. Like, will she find Chidi in the first episode? Or will it, will she meet Tahani first? Like, who, who, who from the show will she run into first in the new good place? You know, like, right, right. Uh, honestly, okay. I was going to save this for our lightning round later, but I, I feel like I have to ask it now. No, just just go for it. Go for it. Do you agree that Eleanor find Chidi was not the most useful thing she could have written down? <laughs> I do. However, it is it makes the most sense for her character because knowing him was the biggest source of her improvement and change as a as a person over the course of season one. Okay, yeah, I, I get that, and I, I also agree that, okay, I guess they were trying to make a point about the fact that Chidi is very important to her, but if that did feel like, when she was going, shit, shit, what do I write? And then she scribbled something, I was like, well, presumably she's writing, this is the bad place. Like, or this is not the good place, or something like that. That seems like the most fundamental thing that, that she would, it just seems like the obvious thing she would think to write, I guess, in that panicked moment. I mean... She was panicked and she just wrote whatever came to mind. And I guess that's supposed to reveal that Chidi's really important to her. But I was like, seems like it would have been more useful to write that this is the bad place. Although, ultimately, it was just important that she writes something that would make her go, hold, yeah. fine, Minuten Bitter. <laughs> like, the, only, the important thing about her writing that note was that she needed to make her, the new Eleanor, <laughs> go, something's not as it should be. I, I I mean, this is such a trope in, I guess, I mean, we're kind of edging into sci-fi here at this point, that you have these moments where a character leaves themselves a note for a time loop. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like a, a trope in these time loop stories, which I love that we're, this is a time loop story in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, This idea that... The, the clue that they leave themselves is always like it's it's off. Like there's that movie Paycheck with Ben Affleck where his memory gets erased and he just leaves himself like 13 random things in a in an envelope. Or there's an episode of um, never seen that. Star Trek The Next Generation where they're in a time loop and Data, like the note Data leaves himself is like two plus two equals five or something like he leaves himself a really a not someone's probably going to correct me on twitter and flay me alive i haven't seen the episode in 20 years but he leaves himself a very like innocuous tiny little thing that lets him know that something is wrong in the fabric of the universe where you would think it would just be like this is a time loop yeah or whatever would be more useful um but ag again like i almost i at this point i'm willing to trust these writers that her deciding to write find Chidi instead of this is the bad place is like there, I feel like there's going to be a payoff to that in the second season that's going to be like oh my god yeah. but I don't know yeah I, I I definitely trust the writers to do something good with it I just I can you know I had to mention that I did go oh, okay really that was what she thought to write that seems like not the first thing you would think of but 
I guess she, I guess the thing that was on, I guess what we have to take from that is that the thing that was most on her mind in that moment that she was freaking out about with this, with what Michael had said, not only that he was going to wipe their memories and put them back to day one, but also that he was going to split them up. Apparently, the fact that they were going to be split up was more pressing in her mind than the fact that they were going to forget everything. So, yeah, she wanted to be reminded, look, there's someone named Chidi who is important. More so than just that you have to find him. He is out there and he's important. Which as a, a character arc for Eleanor to go from being someone who is selfish and an asshole and everything like that to have her la- her essentially her dying thought be, I don't want to lose this friend. Like that's a huge amount of growth over that season. Yeah. That the 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 deepest core thing she wants to preserve is not her freedom or her you know, what place in the universe, it's her friendships. Yeah. And now I'm, I got a little misty at that. I'm not going to lie. When I saw the episode, Aww, I actually got a little, buddy. I got a little misty Um, just because I, I think that's, it's amazing to think back over the course of the season for that character, that she goes from someone who is flailing around fighting for self-preservation and becomes someone who's fighting for group preservation. Like, even when she voluntarily decides to leave the good place yeah. for, and this is a perfect segue into talking about, oh my God, the medium place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was really, really interesting. I I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, definitely the fact that it was all made up, I mean that it was all meant to torture them changes that a little bit but as its own episode as it as we experienced it still thinking that everything was more or less on the up and up yeah that was really delightful to find out that they were forced to finally create a medium place but there was only one person in history who had ever gotten there and not by being medium enough but by being too extremes enough that they could yeah. decide not that you know what this person truly is medium maybe we should give them a break it was that they couldn't decide who got them yeah well like who deserves this woman she did some really horrible things but she also did some really really good things like this is yeah well th- that for me I, that was such a shock because i when they when they first hop on the train and they're like take us to the medium place. I was like, oh my God, the medium place. It's going to be the most like, like milk toast, vanilla, like middle of the road person in history. Like I was, I was picturing a character out of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where it's like average height, average build, yeah, average tastes, you know, like. No the- opinions, just very middle of the road. Yeah. And instead we got a much more interesting character. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, yeah, that was, I love that she's also gardening in the nude when they first arrive because like, well, she's been alone for 30 years. Yeah. Would, you know, even someone who is not personally inclined toward nudity would occasionally walk around naked if they were alone for 30 years. You just would. You absolutely would. There would just be days you didn't feel like putting on clothes. (laughs) No, that, that whole thing was pretty was pretty great. I really enjoyed her character. Her whole like, do you have any? I mean, of course you don't. But do you? <laughs> I really love cooking. <laughs> yeah, that 
just absolutely perfect. And like the fact that her outfits are all 1980s because that was the era when she died. <laughs> yeah, like like 80s power suits. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Because she was like a high powered lawyer or whatever. Yeah, th- that was that was perfect. I everything about that was pretty delightful. I want to take a minute to sort of uh, bring up the uh, the the uh, no exit connection. We have to talk about the French elephant in the room. It's something that I brought up uh, once or twice on the original yes uh, podcast. Yeah, and it was something that like slowly built in me as we watched it. And we had that one conversation, uh, which I wish we had recorded <laughs> after we watched, I think it was episode five, where I was like, you know, we were kind of we were talking about, is this actually the good place or is this the bad place? Because if you start to look at it, all of these people are essentially placed with someone who will torture them. And it could be that because I've seen the play a couple of times, I have a little bit more of like that particular structure makes sense to me. That idea of. Hell is just you getting placed into a uh, um, a claustrophobic situation with the people who are the most likely to be your worst enemy and therefore the most likely to torture you. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it amazed me when I went back and listened to our initial discussion because you freaking nailed it without even realizing it. You pointed out, this reminds me of No Exit, the hell is other people thing where... Instead, and you said, but of course, in this, they picked the people to be around you who are most likely to make your life nice and wonderful. Instead of in no exit, you are hell is you in a room with two other people who are specifically chosen right. to infuriate and and pick at the worst parts of you. But you were saying, but of course, here in the good place, it's the opposite. And like, you could not really have known that it was going to turn out. No, this is literally an adaptation of No Exit. Yeah. which Just a much sillier one. You know, thinking back to the pilot, uh, you know, there's there's a line in it where Eleanor says, uh, are my parents in the bad place? They totally are. They're probably torturing each other. That could work. Yeah. Th- that concept is referenced in the first episode. Um, and, y- you know, like sort of thinking about it now, like that reveal that uh, Chidi, Eleanor, Jason, uh, I can't even remember his monk name now. Jin Yang? John Yu. John Yu. John Yu. Jin Yang is from, <laughs> from Silicon Valley. John Yu and uh, Tahani are the only four quote unquote real people. And then everyone else in the neighborhood, the like impossibly good like hoity toits aren't real people. They're all They're all demons pretending to be like these paragons of virtue yes which it, i i'm like well that explains glenn at least is he the one who was like i'll give you both of my kidneys no no he's he's because oh. that guy never shows up again i don't think glenn is the one who's constantly like oh, everything's great i love picking up trash hey i fill in a hole that was fun like he's just the impossibly he's also fun fact he's the only person with a lower rating than tahani when she sees her ranking oh that's right <laughs> I noticed that. I did notice that. Also, that there you go. That was something that you commented when we were watching the show. You were like, it seems weird that uh, Michael would have left that. It wasn't even password protected. He just left Tahani in the room with that and then walked away. Yeah. Obviously, that was all planned. So she would find that out. That felt very deliberate. Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned at the time that it was weird. But here's the thing. And this is something I did want to talk about. One of the hard things about watching... 
a show like this where there's a lot to discover and uncover and figure out. A show with a lot of specific world building that they are piecing out that you're trying to figure out what's the mystery. A lot of times when you're watching a show like that, you're trying to pick on every little clue, but you come on across something you think is a clue and you have to acknowledge that might actually just be bad writing, though. I think I found an inconsistency, but how do I know it's not just lazy TV writing? Right. And that's one of the things I've always found infuriating about shows like that. Like, because a lot of times you think you found something that's really significant. And then when the eventual reveal comes out, you're like, oh, so that that thing I saw was just it was a lazy writing red herring. And I totally thought it was going to end up being a big deal. I don't feel like any of this was that. It's well, there there is the uh, I guess it's more of like a line flub or a. a I mean, it's it's not a lazy writing. It's just a, a genuine mistake. But you seized on the fact that she says ladybug instead of ladybird uh, in the first episode. And because we were really on the she's not really British. Yeah, they seem to have completely dropped that. If we are to assume that all the flashbacks are real, mm-hmm. which at least so far, nothing. It seems like that would be a, a bridge too far. We need something to be real <laughs> in this world. Yeah. And if their flashbacks aren't real, then what is the point of them? Kind of. Um Oh, God. But yeah, it, it seems based on the flashbacks that she really, she really is British. What? Oh, my. She was born somewhere else. I can't I remember she's... where. Didn't she say she was? Oh, no. But she think she said she, I think she said she was born in London and went to school in France or born somewhere else, moved to London. She's Pakistan. I think she's educated. She in was born in Pakistan. Yes. Moved to go. London. Educated Back, in born France. in Pakistan. Yeah. So she is more or less British. Yeah. Her English, her accent is not fake. But so then why does she have an accent? No one else does. I, I want to go. Maybe we'll find out in season two. I want to back up a teensy bit to sure. your comment about uh, that would be a bridge too far to have their memories be fake. We are currently under operating under the assumption that the uh, I don't know what we'd call that. The loop. We'll call it. A, we'll call them loops. Yeah. Uh, the loop that we just watched with season one was the first loop. Um, uh, oh, we don't know. Mm. We don't. I'm just saying we don't know for sure. I, that is a good point. And we- that being the case, I, I just wanted to say that, like, saying we're not sure if about their the fact that we're now questioning their memories, I think is really fun because the show has now established itself as having an unreliable viewpoint or not quite unreliable narrator but it's like we don't know what to trust anymore which broadens the mystery in a very i think satisfying way because not only are the characters questioning their own reality but we're questioning the wider reality around the characters so for instance if you did really want to torture a good soul you take you take that soul that person's essence you strip it of all the good things they ever did in their life give them a bunch of memories of them being a shithead and then throw them into heaven with a bunch of good people. Like, which would be bizarre. Okay. And also incredibly I, torturous. I mean, I do feel like at this point, we can't take anything for granted, really. Right. But I'm going on the record as saying, I think that it's going to turn out that, A, all of their memories, at least, of their life are real. And that this was the first attempt. Because I think if it wasn't the first attempt, at the point that they figure it out, at the point that Eleanor goes, I know the jig is up. This is the bad place. Now, it's possible it's not the bad place because there is no good place and no bad place. Right. And 
something about his smile makes me think he's like, okay, you figured out too much that we're going to have to start over, but you didn't get everything. But him saying like, damn, that was okay. Well, this was only my first try. I'll do it better next time. It does feel like he wouldn't say that to them if, because at that point he's going to wipe their memories. There's no fucking with them more at that point. Right. It does feel like he and Sean basically revert to their normal selves and are being honest. Oh my God, Sean. Oh God. We're over our half an hour limit that we set ourselves for the general freeform talk. I and we haven't even talked about Mark Evan Jackson. Sarah, I, because we had some like wibbly wobbly at the top, let's add another 10 minutes on this because it will edit down. Oh, um, yeah. I want to, I need, I need to reveal something to you. And this, this, this may be a bit of a trial for our friendship, but I trust the love Uh-oh. between us. Oh, no. I have known for years, Sarah, that you are a big fan of Mark Evan Jackson. And, you know, I've seen him around. I've seen him in things. And I've never really, I've never really gotten it until watching this character in The Good Place. It's like something coalesced for me about him as an actor and sort of the the thing that he does, the thing that he's doing when he shows up and stuff. And mm-hmm. honestly, with the exception of Janet, I think he was my, he might have been my favorite character. He is so funny. Just like how absolutely put upon he is. I, I, I he is so delightful. Wait, where comes, where comes the trial on our relationship part? Oh, the fact that for years you've been telling me that, like, you love oh, Mark God. Evan Jackson. I thought you were going to say you didn't like him. No. that I, pr- pr- Jesus, you scared me strangely. No, what I'm saying is for years you've told me that, he like, how much you love him. And I it, sure. it hasn't quite clicked for me. I haven't quite understood the love. No, that's, and s- that's totally fair. That's understandable. <laughs> but seeing yeah. him on The Good Place, I am 100% on board, Sarah. I Oh, yeah. No, you I, can't. You can't merely see a photograph of Mark Evan Jackson and understand all that he is. Like, there is a reason that he gets typecast as a lot of, like, lawyers and judges and, like, generals and stuff like that. He plays a lot of boring authority figures and things. But I... Because he looks... He just looks good in a suit. Yeah. And he just looks very sort of official. Officious, even. Yeah. But there's so much more. And you don't even know. I can just... He barely does anything in those two, what, two episodes that he's but in? The, the, oh, I just know there's going to be so much more of him and of Sean and being different the, the, in the next season. I just can't wait. Oh. I just hope that Sean shows up much sooner in the second Speaking season. Speaking of which, I think, like, my second favorite gag in the whole season was the lava demon coming into the conference room and being like, <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, I thought we had the conference room. Oh, so- sorry, guys. And there's just like sulfur and fire and lava falling all over the place. <laughs> so, funny. But he has a briefcase. Yeah. Which, again, is- should not work. But I think it's no. It's like they just... It, one of my absolute favorite things in sci-fi fantasy universes is to have people behaving normally around the abnormal i think that is the best because if there's one thing that human beings are good at it's eventually getting used to the abnormal and yet every sci-fi fantasy show or book or comic or whatever always has people going wow at things and not reacting to them like 
you know, people are either reacting to them in this huge overblown, like jaw droppy way or whatever. And you very rarely get people just interacting with it. Like, Oh, it's Tuesday. It just slayed me. I, I, you know, I can't wait to get more of, of that, that background of, of the behind the scenes of the office politics of wherever this place is, whatever this afterlife actually is, because we said that from the get go, we wanted to see more of like, who is Michael actually in this organization? Who's his boss? Like, yeah, who's under him? Who's above him? What was he doing for 200 years as an apprentice? Like, what was he up to? Who's in charge here? How much is going on? And yet getting to see a little bit more of that. And I love that, that his, the thing about him being an apprentice for 200 years and this being his first project was true. Just for slightly different reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's just that what it was was the part that wasn't true, what the actual purpose was. But, and that he was trying something different with it. We just thought it was it was just that he was there. That was the part that was different. But it was quite a bit more than that. It's, I love that there was that acorn of truth in this forest of lies. <laughs> Was that too whimsical? <laughs> no, I think almost opens up that character for even more interesting stuff in season two because he is like the demon. He is their torturer. And yet, because of that kernel of truth from him earlier, it inclines me to believe that some of the other things he has said over the course of the season are also true. Like his kind of obsession and and uh, sort of uh, Arthur Weasley-esque love of humans. Yeah is is actually that th there's some truth in it like i could still see him as a character becoming so fond of them yeah that he doesn't want to let them go like you know what i mean like he doesn't want them to go to to standard issue bad place because he like you know the re like what am i trying to say oh the reason that his bad place keeps not working is because he's actually making it too nice for them like the the way he fixed the coffee cups you know, there's a thing where she gets coffee and she's like, wow, the lid never spills. And he's like, yeah, I, I came up with that. And it's like, yeah, wait, there are there are quite a lot of things. But I think that that's I mean, he his intention was to keep it going as long as possible. Yeah. To keep them thinking they were in the good place and it was just them who was ruining everything. There had to be good things. It did have to be a certain amount of enjoyableness to stretch out the torture and make the torture more and more existential and internal. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, he did have to do some of that. But I do like the idea that some of that was just because he really does like human foibles and he does like those quirks and he does enjoy frozen yogurt or whatever like yeah he loves the humanity of it or whatever i do enjoy that uh, i was i just think it makes him more interesting than if he's just pure conniving evil wall to wall yeah definitely well that's why i definitely think that this is going to turn out to be his first try because sean does say something about like okay you get one more try yeah so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the second season because at first I thought, oh my gosh, this is a brilliant premise for a show. You could have almost infinite seasons because there could be a memory wipe and a time loop starting over at the beginning of each season. Right. It's probably not going to be exactly that because there is this premise of Sean being like, you know, though his initial like, you'd be lucky to get six months out of these people when Michael says, we could probably stretch this out for a thousand years. 
Uh, and then him saying like, okay, you can try one more, such, one more. Such a classic <laughs> overly confident pitch meeting line. Yeah. You'd be yeah. lucky to get six months. I think we could do it for a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, and what is, what, we don't know how long it actually ends up going. Right. But if he, I, given the time, we don't know exactly what the time is to them, but it seems like it was no more than a month. It's like a few weeks or something. Yeah. Uh, Although, God, there's so many little things that bugged me about the show that I thought were just bad writing that now make sense, except for the part where no one went, wait a minute, if this is the good place, why do we have to do dishes and laundry? That bothered me every time they brought it up. Right. Like, that was a really silly, it seemed like a kind of an easy thing for Chidi and Eleanor to pick at each other about her not doing laundry and him always having to do the dishes and all this stuff. It's like, why didn't at any point he go, wait a minute, why do I have to do the dishes in the first place? Why can't I go, hey, Janet, make all these dishes clean? Right. You know? I mean, maybe he could. Maybe he never thought, maybe neither of them thought to do that. Yeah, I know. But like, if this had actually been the good place, they shouldn't have even had to ask Janet. It should have just been, they wake up in the next morning and the house is perfect again. Like, hey, I, I got you know? to cut in here, Sarah. Speak for yourself. Yeah. For me... Sometimes just doing a sink full of dishes recenters my my spirit, and it, it I like to do the dishes sometimes. Sometimes it feels good. Well, you're weird. Uh, one last thing to talk about in sort of this freeform chat. I want to talk about Janet because wow, as a, a character. Oh yeah. The where uh, this character has gone. Janet is so great. I understand now why people love Janet so much. And I'm really excited that she is, she wasn't in on it. I'm not a girl. <laughs> not, not a girl. I'm not actually alive. It would have been so sad if we had found out that Janet was also just a demon playing a character. Right. Uh, and I love that her falling in love with John Yu was, well, falling in love, quote unquote, was absolutely not planned. Like that was... Something that just a weird thing that happened. And he mentions even like when he's doing the pitch meeting, he's like, I managed to steal a good Janet. Oh, that's right. He says, I managed to steal a good Janet, which does imply that there is a good place and they're in the bad place. Darn. I thought they hadn't established anything that that couldn't be. Yeah, I was thinking it might be that this is the one afterlife. But they did say I right. managed to I managed to steal or acquire in some way a good Janet. He does imply that she's a good Janet fell off the back of a truck. Damn it! All right. Which is why I'm inclined to believe that the medium place. Damn it, Janet! <laughs> <laughs> yep. That, You're welcome. That one reference where he says <laughs> I managed to steal a good Janet is what inclines me to believe that when they go to the medium place, it is actually the legit medium place. Oh, that's a good point because Janet takes them there. Yes. Ooh, gosh. Makes that's her, a really... Mm. Which makes her the most reliable character in the mm. overall cosmo... Cos, yeah. Cosmoli... Cosmoduli? Cosmoduli? Cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan. Um, no, I, that is a really good point that I hadn't thought about. Like with strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate? Cosmopolitan? Yes, that is exactly what it is. Excellent. Sorry, That's go ahead. That's potato. I'm sorry. Um, I apologize for referencing something I know very well you haven't seen and most of our listeners haven't seen. You can cut it out. Anyway, that is a really good point. However, 
everything Janet knows, where is she drawing her information from? Is she still drawing her information from whatever data bank she was using in, when she was in the good place? Or is some of the information she's giving them fed to her by Michael and his cohorts or whatever? Right. We don't know for sure. So that's a good point. The medium place may, in fact, be real. It may still turn out to have been all part of the simulation, all part of the right. lie. Right. It'll be interesting to see if they go back there, if they if the their storyline in the second season ends up taking them to the medium place again. I kind of hope they don't go the Jason and Janet fall in love thing again. Cause that's, it was very funny, but also it's like, well, I mean, uh, I kind of hope they go a different way. That relationship happening was implied to take place because he spent time with her while he, she was rebooting. So like he was, he had some sort of influence on her like reboot development process that connection formed there yeah that experience will not happen the same way right presumably uh so that is a good point that that's that that could it's possible that won't happen i'm kind of hoping it won't um i do find jason to be possibly the most tedious character on the show um i, I he's just a little too dumb for me i agree with you he is the character so far that seems to be the most uh plot necessity driven yeah like how dumb is he really he's as dumb as the plot needs him to be yeah because there are times when he is so dumb and has so little self-preservation that's the thing that makes him a great foil for eleanor because she's kind of a bad person but in a very she has a very strong sense of self-preservation she does everything to protect herself He's a bad person just because he's stupid, honestly. Half of the stuff he did in life that we've heard him say that were arguably bad things are just because he's really dumb and he doesn't know any better or he can't think of anything better to do with his time. Yeah. Or he doesn't see how his actions hurt other people or whatever. But the fact that he was able to keep silent for the first several days, the first week or whatever, before he reveals himself to Eleanor, and the fact that he could keep a straight face, not accidentally say anything. Do the th- think of doing the things where he puts his hand on Michael's chest and Michael's like, "Oh, why does that work? Why does that still work?" I, work. Yeah, that was the best part when he's like, "Oh, why does that still work?" That's another thing I want to talk about of like how how many of things Michael said were genuine. But the I just felt like it didn't quite line up. Maybe I'll feel differently when I go back and rewatch the first season, which I do want to do. But I felt like he was a little inconsistent in that reason. Yeah. I, I, it, it was hard to believe that he would have the patience to send her a note and then send her a second note. Right. That worked for the plot, but it didn't really make sense for Jason. It seems like the second she went, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. He would have been like, oh, shit, you too, dog. Like, amazing. We're both in it together. Instead, he like holds off for several days, sends her a what seems like a threatening note. Yeah. I could see him sending that note and not realizing it sounded threatening, but it just seems weird that he takes so long to finally reveal himself to her. And then when he does, he's so dumb. Also, it's... I wish I could go back and see Manny Jacinto. I don't actually know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, uh-huh. but that's my best guess. Um, I wish I could see him in, that, in those first couple of episodes again, because he is a beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. 
And I'm having a hard time seeing him as pretty as I used to see him now because he's so annoying. Right. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how I see him when we start the second season, the first time we meet Jianyu, you know. Presumably, we will at least get one episode or at least part of an episode of him being Yu before he's revealed again as Jason, you know? Right. How long will it take for that reveal to happen the second time around? Right. We don't know. I I gotta say, though, th- like, th- the ups and downs of that character's writing aside, the whole uh, sequence where h- him and Janet get married and then Chidi comes in and is reacting to everything that is happening. <laughs> like Chidi's reactions oh. were the funniest thing in the entire season to me where he's just going, what? Yeah. What? What? He, like, yeah, it, you could see that that is his breaking point. Like it, absolutely. It's just where he just goes like all of everything just flies out the window for him at that point. It is so, so damn funny to me. Yeah. I, I watched the the last, I think it was the last five minutes of that episode. I watched them twice. Like, I was just crying. <laughs> that what I forget the name of the actor who plays Chidi, but that man is a treasure. Yeah, no, I've forgotten too. Like, so good. Oh, strangely. Oh, my God. By the way, I got you a present. Senegal. <laughs> That's one of my favorite <laughs> moments. I want to do that to people all the time now. I got you a present. And her little gesture with her hand. Senegal. And he's like, that's oh. that's not a present. That's like basic. It's just being a basic human. And she's like, but I totally nailed it. It's She's so proud of herself. <laughs> Eleanor being really genuinely proud of herself when she does something good is just the most pure thing in this show. Because, yeah, the show doesn't let her get away with it. Chidi is constantly there reminding her. Okay, but that was, you know, when she lets Glenn go in in the Froyo line, uh-huh. she's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to think for a minute. Why don't you go? And the look on her face when she realized, I just did something good, even though it's such a basic, basic level good thing to do to like go, I'm going to think for a minute. You go ahead of me. That's not the kind of thing that gets you into the good place uh, by the original terms, right? But like, right. she's so proud of herself. She runs all the way home and forgets to get them Froyo. It's so pure. <laughs> I love her. Anyway, I think we have to move on to the lightning round. Yeah. I think we are in a we are in an accord. Let's move on to the lightning round, which is going to be us just kind of throwing each other things. We're like, hey, did this bug you? Or what did you think about this? Or do you agree with me on this point? We're just going to throw each other some quick things back and forth. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. There are two Michael moments that I think were genuine. And I want to know if you agree with me. One was his, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but what the hell? His excitement over, this is my first project. Uh, when he says that at the at the welcome party, do you think that moment was genuine? Because I kind of think maybe it was. I definitely think so. Because when he says, I'm not supposed to tell you this, like, yeah, telling them that actually doesn't go with your plan because telling them anything true doesn't help your plan. Right. So No, it, it dovetails with his childlike joy as he starts drawing up the plans for the neighborhood in his office. Yeah, yeah. And also the, yeah, the, when, when Jason touches the chest and he goes, oh, why does that still work? It, it does kind of, I, I almost, that one I'm less convinced about, but I think that that could have been also another genuine moment. It, it plays into our idea that he does kind of love humans and how weird they are. Definitely. I think, I think both of those moments were genuine. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot more of the Ted Danson moments are genuine than than we would think at this point of reveals. 
like sort of where we're at right now. All right. That's been one minute. Uh, Sarah, what are your sort of, I guess, predictions, uh, future ideas about where Janet is going as a character Ooh, in season two? Uh, good question. I, I don't know. I guess I don't have like an immediate answer for that. I, I like the fact that she grows a little bit every time they reboot her. It gives her an opportunity for some character development since she's supposed to be effectively a computer program. Um, but the fact that she can learn a little bit every time she's rebooted means that every time they m- murder her, I love that they still call it murdering. Oh, I have to go murder Janet. I'll be right back. <laughs> like when, when Michael says that, it's like, I, I like that. I have a Janet related question as well, but tell me why you asked me that question. What do you think? I think the two most tantalizing pieces of information regarding Janet that we were given was a, the fact that you just referenced that she grows when she's rebooted, <clears throat> murdered. Mm. And also there's some line that's implied that all the Janets are connected to some central something. Like they're all, yeah. they're all connected. Like even the bad Janets are getting their information from the same place and their badness just makes them give you the wrong answer. But in order to give the wrong answer or the the meanest answer, you would have to know the right answer as well. Mm, good point. So it's like there's some sort of neutral central Janet da- database. And I'm just picturing like a neighborhood entirely made up of Janets. And I can't remember the actress's name right now, but she's amazing and could probably... Darcy Carton? Yes. Something? That yeah. episode where Janet's personality kept shifting. Yeah. Uh, as they were, as he was trying to dial it in, like just that little window into that actress's range. I wanna, I wanna see more of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I Janet is definitely one of the best characters. So, moving on to my question um, that I wanted to bring up about Janet, which is Janet's concept of gender. I mentioned in our initial podcast that I had heard some things to suggest that maybe there's going to be some interesting look into her ideas about gender since she's not a person. She's a computer program or whatever. However, now that all that we've gotten on that front is her, I'm not a girl, when Johnny keeps calling, when Jason keeps calling her a girl, uh, I feel like I definitely read that more as her being like, I'm not a girl because I'm not a human being, I am a computer program. Uh, more about, it was more her being like, well, yeah, I don't have a concept of gender per se because I'm a computer program, essentially. And less about like, I actually have a personality and an idea of gender and my gender is not girl. Do you agree? I need a slightly larger sample size of Janet's to to really see where this is going. Mm-hmm. I could see the character being non-gendered because computer but I also am curious if the way that Janet is presenting in the places we've seen is because that's how Janet has chosen to present there. And like the bad Janets kind of go with that because it's the same actress playing the bad Janets. Yeah. It could be a, a sort of a thing where we'll see another a good place neighborhood at some point where their Janet will look totally different, you know, or be a Jason or, you know, or something uh, even more non-binary than that. Um uh, but right now we've only seen two Janets. I would argue one particular. Yeah. yeah. Well, three, they... three and a half Janets. <laughs> oh. This was two and a half Janets ago. Well, oh, I uh, although on this subject, I I just need to mention one thing, which there is a scene where Janet is. I think it's while Janet is offline or something, and uh, Michael shows up and being like, "I'm kind of trying to be Janet while she's offline," and he is wearing a version of her outfit but tailored to him 
But it's not a version of her outfit, but made menswear in the sense that it's not like just the same color scheme, but right. menswear. He's still wearing a blouse with like the flowy, poofy sleeves and the shiny fabric and all of that stuff. Right. It's just tailored to Ted Danson's shape, but it is not made more masculine. And I like really, really enjoyed that little, just that amazing little detail of costuming, which only appears for like 30 seconds. It's so great. Anyway. It was delightful. Uh, Your turn. Uh, I have one last thing for this lightning round. During our episode about the pilot, you had very strong negative feelings about the appearance of the concept that only the creme de la creme get into the good place and everybody else even the medium people go to the bad place yes i i just i want an update on your thoughts on that particular cosmology because it was something you felt so strongly about in our first episode well the fact that we have now found out they are not in the actual good place kind of throws all of that out because yeah i said you know if they are actually going to say no this is actually how this is actually the good place. This is actually the the, the best that it gets. Uh, that was what I took issue with. So now that's off the table. Also, the other thing I took issue with was the idea that these actual good people, everyone in the in the neighborhood except for Eleanor and Jason, but at the time only we knew about Eleanor, would be really genuinely amazingly good people who sacrificed their lives for other people, all that stuff. And they were all totally fine with finding out that they were not even a little bit conflicted with the knowledge that everyone, probably everyone they ever helped in life is going to the bad place. Right. That they sacrifice their lives for these other people to help these other people. And those people are going to the bad place. Like nobody seemed even a little bit conflicted by that. But now we know the truth, which is that everyone else was demons and Chidi and Tahani are not as good as they were initially presented to be. Right. Chidi is still a very good person, but he's not... You know, he's not the, the you know, sacrificed his life for others kind of good. You know, right. That they were first suggesting. So, yeah, all of that is now kind of off the table. Right. So I just wanted to make a, a brief comment on that before we get to your last lightning round thing. Mm -hmm. I love that this show essentially presents that if you make Pascal's wager, you still go to hell because the show has someone like Tahani who's done arguably huge amounts of good for humanity like on a mathematical level of billions raised for charities, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But she all did it for the wrong reason. Yeah. Um, which I just, I, I've always found Pascal's wager to be a bit weird. Well, because, sorry, are you, you, are you familiar with Pascal's wager? I am totally blanking. I can't remember what it is. I was about to ask you, please remind me what Pascal's wager is. Okay. So, so really quickly, Pascal's wager is, uh, essentially, if you believe in God and Jesus and that's how you get to heaven and you're correct, then yay, you get to go to heaven. If there isn't a God and you believe in God, whatever, you just go nowhere. So you're better off believing in God. Whereas if there is a God and you don't believe in God, then you go to hell. Oh, right. Okay. That whole thing. Yes. And I've always found that to be like a bit off because it's like, yeah, but if I'm consciously making Pascal's wager, doesn't that defeat the purpose of me believing in God? Right. Because I'm like choosing, I'm I'm applying games theory essentially to my immortal soul, yeah. which has never felt right. And this show's cosmology is basically like, yeah, if you choose to be good because you want to hedge your bets on the afterlife, 
you're still going uh, to the bad place. Right. Which they they also uh, confirm that with when she's trying to up her points uh, it, once Michael finds out, you know, and they're trying to, like, figure out how to keep her there. You know, the she's trying to figure out, you know, how do I why is holding the door open for these people not working? Oh, because she's doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Which we still don't know what the actual structure is for getting into the good place in as much as there is one. Uh, but yeah, I I kind of like that because from the beginning I did go, how is Tahani actually good? She's kind of a bit of a, a catty bitch in that first episode. Yeah. And even when they eventually establish, oh, she raised mil- billions of dollars for charity. I was like, okay, but surely that's not enough by the rubric of the uh, of the show up until that point surely you have to actively do good things right just giving money and though she didn't just give money she did organize all these events and raise the money and i was like well i guess that's enough apparently but it did seem tenuous also i also mentioned this to you when we were watching the show i was like how did chidi actually rack up enough good points all he did was teach yeah was it, does he get good points based on all the things the people he taught did because he made them better people by teaching them about ethics, that he gets residual points from all the things they go out and do then? Does that work? But, like, obviously most of those things are off the table because now we don't know what the rubric is, if there is one, for getting people into various places. Although, arguably, based on the information we got from the medium place where she was a shitty person all her life, but then she came up with a really good idea that her sister then executed, which was then applied to her retroactively, it would seem that the influence you have on other people does count towards your cumulative score. So that's not the standard rule. Right. If it was the standard rule, she probably would have gotten into the good place. Just no problem. But instead, it was enough of an issue that they created the medium place for her. So I don't... Yeah, anyway, this is, there was a lot of things that I went, as we were watching the show, like, what? But how? And it's like, oh, well, because it's all lies. As we're wrapping this up, you have one last lightning round... Uh, thing for me question or thought or something Eleanor and Chidi do you ship it now I didn't ship it then and I still don't no I I ship it not at all now uh I was I, f- I friendship I f- it I friendship it as well and I, I I thought one of the best sort of genuine heartfelt moments in the show was when Eleanor comes back to Chidi and says look uh you know I had this moment where I was you know thinking I was going to lose everything that I've built here and you were a big part of that, but I realized that you are my friend. Yeah. And I, I love you like a friend. And it just it felt so genuine and and kind and sweet and like beautiful that moment. Like and that's one hundred percent Kristen Bell just being Yeah. A treasure. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. No, I Shall we finish it on that note? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I totally agree that that whole thing about her being, you know, fake real Eleanor being like you love Chidi which now we know it was her you know trying to stir the pot more but I love that when she finally went and confessed to him she kind of went I mean I don't know if that's actually love I definitely care about you a lot and you're you're surprisingly jacked or whatever like I'm not so much hot for teacher as (laughs) grateful to surprisingly jacked teacher or whatever you know and I I loved that that she just she hasn't cared about anyone in her life enough exactly to recognize genuine not platonic love when she sees it so right i i friendship it 
Although, I'm not going to lie, I'm starting to kind of ship Tahani and Eleanor. If there's not a season where they make them be soulmates, I'm going to be so mad. All right, Sarah. <laughs> that better happen. <laughs> as we That's sexy skyscraper. As we, ra- <laughs> as we wrap this up, I have one last little thing I want to do. Um, I'm going to I'm okay. going to give you a question. You will have 60 seconds on the clock to talk about it and answer it. Okay. But the 60 seconds won't start until you start talking. So you have time to 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 gather yourself. Ooh, okay. But I I want each of us it's not a question I guess. I I just want each of us to go on the recording making predictions about season two. Oh yes. And mm-hmm. where season two will end. Yes. Season two cliffhangers. It's going to be 60 seconds long and your time starts whenever you start. I'm not going to lie. I took a minute just now. Not even a minute. I took like 15 seconds because I felt like I should. However, I don't know the answer to this question until I start talking about it, so, which is very me answer. So I just have to say that I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have another season that is structured similarly to the first season where we we're going to have them reveal and figure out things just in different ways. And the second season will end with them figuring it out. And Michael going, all right, best two out of three to Sean and Sean being like, fine. And them going boop, you know, and starting the next thing. It could be that it could, it could throw a complete spanner into the works and, and completely change everything. It could be a completely different structure. I don't know because the show is so, unique and and brilliant now that anything could go honestly i feel like i hope that it's somewhere in between those two things that i just described you know it's a little bit yeah it's a little bit of one and a little of the other you know excellent okay now you i as far as predictions for season two i would have to say that i think we're going to resolve the second loop much faster Mm-hmm. From our perspective, it may last the same amount of time for the characters, but I think we are going to get to the end of the loop much faster. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to have probably by the end of episode two or three or something like that, we'll finish the second loop. I could also see them doing an episode sometime in season two where we get a montage of like a hundred different loops happening. <laughs> yes. And through that, we get sort of a jump forward in time of possibly janet having a big evolutionary jump or something like that like i could also see a montage of janet deaths uh you know of different people pushing the button for an episode uh i could see both of those being things that would be uh storytelling devices in season two in terms of the cliffhanger ending at the end of season two i would i i would say we are due for the appearance of some sort of representatives from the actual good place rolling in and being like WTF is going on here. We need to sort this out. Oh. So that is my 60 seconds of prediction. Interesting. All right. I guess I'm not allowed to respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> By the rules that you just made up. No, no, no. You can... Re- you can re- uh, <laughs> Sarah, a, a brief response and then we'll wrap this up. <laughs> brief rebuttal, which is that I would love to see something of the real good place again in as much as it exists. However, mm-hmm. I can't see them rolling in and saying what's going on because as far as we know so far, that these these are people who were sent to the bad place. So they don't they don't care. The good place doesn't care, maybe. It'd be interesting to find out if the good place does care, I guess. 
I hope that that happens in the second season too. I will add that to my predictions or hopes. Yeah, I, I, I guess just like one quick little button on what you just said. The reason that I feel like we could be seeing some sort of representatives from the good place is that the type of bad place Michael is trying to create leaves room for people to improve. That's why his thing is falling apart is because Eleanor has improved. Mm-hmm. She's the spanner in the works. He thought people would continue to on a path like people would continue on the path that they had started on that they had been on in life yeah and instead what's happening is they're improving and i could see that causing some sort of ripple maybe back through into the janet network from from janet or something like that connecting back up to you know like i could just see some bureaucrat coming down from the good place and being like what the hell is going on here like you you're supposed to torture these people and you are improving them so much that we feel like now we need to take them over onto our team. Like, what are you doing? This is not your job. What what the literal hell is going on here? Ugh. <laughs> oh, great. Well And on that note. On that note, I think it's time for us to immediately start watching season two. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest star, Chris, for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. All right. Shall we sign off? I think we must. All right. Here we go. Bye. (laughs) So out of sync. Amazing. It's perfect on my end. I don't know what you're talking about. Excellent.